0: So All In is our theme. Now, I, uh, I'm going to do something for these first three weeks. As I mentioned, I'm just focused on uh, my contribution to All In is on John the Baptist, the one who's known as John the Baptist. We're going to have a gap after that uh, where we have Pastor Lewis and a few other speakers will be sharing on the All In theme. Then I'm going to come back around and finish with a five-part uh, see you know portion of the series my contribution connected to John so I, I I'm pouring out my perspectives in all in built around John who's known as John the Baptist and I'll tell you this I've been it was weird for me to think about it but I've been uh, doing Bible I started doing Bible studies when I was uh, a freshman in high school so um, uh, that's why I didn't, I, I didn't know a lot about the Bible, but I was willing and I did my best to learn. I, I knew some things, uh, but started started really uh, trying to do that and uh, had a little group that we started. And since that time, you know, it's been, I know, but it's been almost 40 years now, right? 40 years of teaching the scriptures. That's a long time. And in all that time, I actually, I reflected on it. I've never really taught um, a kind of message series on the life of John the Baptist and it was something I I started getting excited about because I started engaging what the scriptures had to say about John and I realized he is the prototype of a of a a person who's all in for God filled with questions and identity issues and things that he was struggling with in terms of his self-worth later on we'll see that it doesn't show up immediately but the Bible has so much to teach us about our lives and what it means to really throw our heart into play for God. So I want us to keep that in mind. Now, pa- Now, here's the thing. All four of the Gospels, the four that talk about the life of Christ, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, those Gospels, each one of them, interestingly enough, contains a reference and some aspect of an account about John. So he's actually a very important figure. At the, as each of the Gospels opens up, John is a critical person because he paves the way for Jesus' coming. Now, he doesn't know Jesus is Messiah. He will find that out, and that's going to be fascinating when we see that next week. But one of the things that we, we, one of the accounts that I wanted to look at, so it could could be helpful because the Gospels give us different insights and different perspectives sometimes on what what is happening, and they kind of build a collage or it's like a, a piece of art that you can look at from different angles and see different things. So there's a lot here for us, not just to learn, but to apply So what I want to do is I want to look at Matthew's account today and pick it up. We're going to just look at 10 verses from Matthew. And um, if you have your Bible, your Bible app, that's fine. But it's in the handout right here. We're just going to start right in. So it says, in those days, John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea. We talked about that last week. And his message was this, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, his message was one of reform, repent the key word. You know, it's not a word we use as much these days. Uh, it is a word, though, that if you read your Bible, you'll see it all the time. Repent has to do with this idea of make a change, turn around, shift direction. What John is basically saying is time to change the direction of your life because God is about to do something remarkable. Whenever you hear the phrase, and Jesus will use it as well, the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is at hand, it's talking about the availability of the visitation of God and how close it is. Think about the phrase, it's not just, the, every time you read it in a scripture, remember what I'm just about to do, your hand. It's an extension of yourself. The kingdom of God is at hand, it's right here. It's happening. It's both then and at hand now. He's saying is God's about to do something remarkable and his message was to uh, prepare for that, that the king himself, the king of the kingdom, was on his way and that would change everything it was a powerful message uh, challenging people to wake up and prepare for what God was doing and to start acting like the people who followed him with sincerity and action and not just give him their lip service. Uh, it came at a time of great, How do describe it, as a nation, Israel had always had a faith in God, but at the time of John and, and Jesus, uh, it, it was kind of like backslidden. There, they had forgotten, there wasn't a vibrancy to the faith. It was, it was, it was very ritualistic, there was a lot of ceremonialism. Uh, people were, were still engaged in religious things but not really at a heart level. And so, as a whole, they weren't really integrating God in their daily lives, it was sort of like, uh, there was actually a lot of corruption in the culture. And even the people who were at the helm, and at the helm, remember, At the time of Jesus, Israel was ruled as so much of the Middle East and most of the known world at the time was under Roman domination. So the Roman Empire ruled with a fist. But they had, in some some cultures, they would lay the heavy on them. Other people groups, they would often give um, some more room to maneuver. Israel, the Jewish people, just stay with me on this, they had been given a lot of autonomy compared to other conquered peoples. They were allowed to set up their own government. And for the most part, Rome stayed out of their religious activities. Rome said, you have to do a couple of things. You have to pay taxes, right? Because this has to be financed. And then the other thing that Rome said was, you, you also don't have the ability to exercise capital punishment. That has to go through us. Which, by the way, some of you later on will see. When, remember when they want to bring, Je- bring Jesus and have him potentially put to death? They can't do it on their own. Roman Romans, the Romans have to decide. That's why Pilate is brought into it at that level. He makes the call, because they didn't have the ability to execute that. And so Rome, but that created a lot of resentment, but there was also a a powerful steering group. So for the most part, Israel was ruled by um, the religious authorities who functioned both as a political religious party over the nation. And they were made up of, a, of this, what, two parties known as the Sadducees and the Pharisees. And this, the reason I said an issue, they were the religious authorities in Jerusalem, which was sort of the epicenter of Israel and still in some ways is, spiritually speaking, right? John comes onto that scene and he starts telling everyone that this is a time for all of us to get our hearts right with God and he, he's saying that you need to turn and prepare because God's about to do a new thing. He actually starts breaking down some things very practically and specifically. If you read Luke's account, you'll see that what John starts to do is he starts telling, he tells people, for example, he says, stop hoarding and be more generous. He says, you want to know what repentance looks like? One of the things it looks like is, if you have extra and you see someone who doesn't have a shirt, give me your shirt. He, te- he tells the task collectors who are working for Rome He's saying when you collect taxes, and he didn't say you have, to, you have to get out of that system. He says you're going to be, when you, here's the thing, when you're in the system, don't be a cheat in the system. Don't, don't collect more, because what they would do a lot of times, and Matthew was you know what's interesting? Matthew was a tax collector before he started to follow Jesus. And, he, and John says, when you collect your taxes from the people for Rome, don't collect more because what they would do is they would collect more and then keep that part for themselves, and everybody won. It was a system built around graft, except the people, of course. So John says, don't do that. To the, to the soldier and the guards and the, we would say the police, he says, don't be unjust. Don't use your authority to take advantage of people. Don't abuse it, Right? Do what is right in the eyes of God. Don't extort things from people. Again, corruption was part of the culture. He says, in fact, I'm calling everybody, all of you. He says, everyone, eat. it doesn't matter where you are in the social scale, I'm calling all of you to prepare your heart for God. and I'm asking you to be baptized. In fact, you need to be baptized. And he, said, he would take them and he would baptize them in the water and he would say, baptism as a way of saying, I am open to God's new thing that he is doing. And I'm, I'm letting go of things and I'm opening myself up to God in a fresh new way. It was a baptism under repentance. And he was preaching because he's saying, because God is on the move and he's about to do something. And you're going to see it. He knows it's coming, right? But again, Matthew goes on to say that in this third verse, he says that John essentially calls, sees himself as a way maker, a forerunner, the advance guard, if you will, of the Messiah, the one who, in fact, he refers to it. Look at verse 3. He refers back to Isaiah, the prophet Isaiah, and he says this, For this is he who was spoken of by the prophet Isaiah, there it is, Isaiah 40, when he said, The voice of one crying in the wilderness Prepare the way of the Lord. Make his path straight. In other words, make room. Make room. He's coming. Get yourself ready. He's on his way. Now, verse 4 says that John wore a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist. And his food was locusts and wild honey because he lived in the wilderness. Now, in an era of many types of diets... Some of us can relate. It almost has like kind of a paleo quality to it, right? I mean, it, it, he lived, he ate out of the wilderness. He's where he lived. Now, gotta remember, John's dress. We go, oh, you know, for, even for people in that day, it's it was odd. It caught it was caught people off guard. We think, oh, that's that's the New Testament times, Jesus times. They wore no, people didn't dress like this. He was a man who lived in the Judean desert wilderness his garments camel skin he had a leather belt tied if you look closely you could see like little pieces of locust stuck in his teeth and honey on his beard no, i'm kidding i don't know about that part but i, I but, but but you know he he comes out and he's ferocious and his message is it's like unqualified it reminds people who were students of the scriptures of what had been said would happen by the last great prophet, it's in the last book of the Old Testament, the book of Malachi, where it says there's gonna be become someone who's gonna come in the spirit of Elijah. When people saw John come out of, out of the wilderness and start speaking into culture, those who knew remember that he, he and the way he dressed and the way he talked, it, the, the manner, his manner, reminded them of Elijah of the Old Testament who came out of, outside of culture, to call culture, to respond to God. And in fact, one of the interesting things is the last promise of the Older Testament in Malachi and the first promise of the New Testament both relate to John coming in the spirit of Elijah. So when people hear him, he's this charismatic, intense, powerful personality. Uh, people of all classes are, you know, he, he just goes at everyone Words started spreading that about this intense prophet of God, who it may be is the one who is the, he, people are saying Messiah is about to come and he's the forerunner of it. And he, there's like, and words started spreading. And how can I say it? It'd be like something happening in today where we would go, it's all the rage. Everybody started, look what it says. It says that, uh, right here, what's the name? And J- then Jerusalem and I mean, he was like a superstar of his era, I mean all of a sudden people started talking about him. Have you heard about that guy? He's coming. I'm telling you he's a prophet of God. He's got the words of God. He's intense. Have you seen him? Words start spreading. Everybody's talking about John. It says here that all look at this, it says all Jerusalem then Jerusalem and all Judea and the entire region around the Jordan started going out to him. What that is telling us is that words started spreading about this intense guy who's coming out of the wilderness who's talking about God in a way that people haven't done and he's baptizing people. You've got to hear him. He's talking like no one's talked. This is something that are, uh, generations ago may have happened, but it's happening right now. It was the, everybody was in on it. People started coming to John. People who were rural. People who uh, were, were more kind of country folk. People who were in the Judean hills like in the suburbs of Jerusalem as well, if we can call it that way. People who were urbanites, the more sophisticated and the powerful. Even to the extent where finally the religious authorities, the, the Sadducees and the Pharisees, the Jerusalem authorities concluded they also needed to go out because this was a cultural phenomenon. This guy had to be seen. We need to go see what he's doing. So they also decided to come and see him. Everybody is coming. He. Everybody's talking about him. It's really important to put that in our minds. And it says that, verse 6, it says, they were baptized by him, look at that, in the river Jordan, confessing their sins. Now where is the ri- a, always helpful when we think about what, we, what we're talking about in the scripture. Look at the, the river Jordan. It's the, from the Hebrew word Yarden. It means the descender. The Jordan River, which is the key river of Israel and that re- region, Jordan, that whole area, that river flows. It starts out from the watershed, from the melting snow. People go, oh, there's a, there's a mountain with snow in that area? There is, actually. Mount Hermon, Hermon. And on the highest levels, there's 9,000 feet, there will be be snow, and when it melts, it comes and it flows down in the Sea of Galilee. That's where, remember, so much of the gospel takes place in the Sea of Galilee? Jesus, fishermen, Peter, all this, that's where it happens. In the Sea of Galilee, then you see how the River Jordan flows down, ultimately, into the Dead Sea. That's an idea of what the Jordan River looks like, it probably could have been an even more barren area where John was, but it does let you see how there's about a 65 miles between the Sea of Galilee and the, the, the Dead Sea. If you take into account the curves and stuff, it's about 200 miles. But the water itself, it could be 75 deep, you know, 75 feet deep sometimes. Uh, you know, actually, 75 feet wide and 10 feet deep. And so it, it's, it's not huge, but it's big enough. You can see it and imagine it with your mind's eye. So keeping that in mind, that's where they're all coming to. And, and it says that, but watch what happens. So everybody's coming to see him. He's there. The word is he's baptizing. He tells everybody, are you ready? Are you ready to start afresh with God? It doesn't matter where you are in life, if you've, where you've been, who you are, how high you are, how low you are. God's calling everyone. And so when the Pharisees and the Sadducees come they come, but they're not coming for the same reason that everybody else is coming. They're coming because they have to check this thing out. They have to consider what's going on. They're more interested in trying to just look from a more, a crit, with a more critical eye, right, at what's going on. And when you would think, oh, when you read it, you would think, okay, wow, these leaders are coming from Jerusalem. Like, John, you hit the big time. They're coming to see you. And when John meets them, right, oh, what an honor that you had come to see me. Thank you. You've come all the way from Jerusalem to hear these words. Oh, I've got a special section just for you. <laughs> no. Everybody must have been in shock. Because his opening, his opening salvo was not so great to see you. He knew why they had come. You know what he says to them? You can look at it. When he saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he knew why they were coming and the motive they were coming with, right? He says to them, you you brood of vipers. You brood of vipers. You lying tongues. You brood of vipers. Who warned you to flee the wrath that is to come? You want to talk about right there. Here, we're on. Oh my, the religious leader, I mean, people must have been, these were the teachers who ran things. You don't talk like that to them. Plus, they know a lot. <laughs> but the language he uses is the language of his desert experience. When he says, you brood of vipers, he's got an image in mind. Have you ever seen in the wilderness, in the desert, a brood of vipers? Here's what it looks like. Here we go. Now, when he says, you brood of vipers, he saw it all the time. Probably better take that down. I know some of you are right now are having a hard time with the brood of vipers going up there right there. I could tell. <laughs> the brood of vipers. You brood of vipers, right? It's like, be, you, don't, you don't need to be, he's stunned. There's, you need to bear fruit in keeping with repentance. Again, change your life. Act differently. You, too, you think you're exempt. You need to also make a shift. You think because of you who you are that you don't you're you're above it, because of your your pedigree or your position. I tell you, um, even with all of your attention to ritual and ceremony, you also need to be baptized under what God is about to do. I tell you this now. Do not resist it. Do not come as the judge from the outside. God is calling you as well. It's a powerful moment, right? Because so you got to remember, John had grown up. He he had grown up. Uh, he was a son of a priest. His father was a priest, Zechariah. He grew up in the household of a priest. He had been to Jerusalem. He had seen it. He didn't just like go live in the wilderness since the day of his birth. He had, he had engaged. He understood it. He saw the way. He was trained. He would have been a priest himself. But God had another call on him. He heard the voice, of, and the voice called him into the role of a prophet. And he had responded to it. And his word to the religious leaders of Jerusalem was, you, you, are not exempt. You are not exempt. Bloodlines and race do not exempt you. Right? Your, your religious heritage does not exempt you. you. You your position and your power and your knowledge and your training does not exempt you. No, I tell you, God is. You know, he, and, and it's almost like he knows John knows, right? He knows, he knows exactly. It's almost like he's a ch- he's. He knows. He knows the move they're going to make. He already knows what they're going to say. He already anticipates their move. He has it in his. He knows where they're going. He's been around it. He goes. He's, he he goes. Listen, listen. listen. He, he knows what they're going to do. He knows their their pride. He knows they're going to they're going to sit with their station and their ecclesiastical pride. He's aware of it. He knows that they they have their confidences that they are. Uh, Unqualified descendants of Abraham. And so before, he, before he, they can even respond to him, he says this and do not, look at verse 9, do not presume to say to yourselves, you, we have Abraham as our father, because I tell you, and then he points to the s- stones around him, I tell, you just saw next to the riverbed, I tell you that God can raise up descendants of, of Abraham from these very rocks. He doesn't need you. Powerful, powerful. I tell, even now, he says, and this is the title of the map, even now the ax is being laid to the root of the tree. You need to bring forth, look what he says, and it's going to cut it down. You, you did, every tree that does not bear good fruit is going to get cut down. Do you understand? God is moving, and you need to open your heart and respond. It was powerful. Now, again, that was scorching. That was a man ablaze. I was a man on fire. He's all in. You can't touch him. So I was thinking about this. How does this relate to you and me? How can, we, how can we engage it? How can we think about all in and what we just read? And how does that apply to us? Let me put something up there for us to be aware of. And it is this. When it comes to pursuing, God, pursuing God-loved ones, let me, let me suggest, let me actually do even more than that. Let me say that we need to be more than observers, we need to be positively engaged participators, positively engaged participators. They were curious, they were careful, they were clinical, they were watching, not as people who needed I don't need his, they were watching it to understand what's this phenomena going on here? It, it, it was an observer's approach. John said, you must, that's not enough. You cannot be right with God and watch what he's doing from afar the way you're doing it. You see, following the Lord, and this is now we're going to get real, even at another layer, I hope. But following the Lord was never meant, following God was never meant to be a passive thing. In fact, when it's passive, it dies a thousand deaths. I've noticed over the years, both looking at my own life with God as a follower of Jesus because I'm a follower of Jesus before I'm ever a pastor, and watching what happens to other people. And over the years, I've watched a lot of people following Jesus, and I've watched people stumble and fall, and I've watched people, yes, fall away, and I've watched people come to the Lord way more than I would have ever envisioned possible. I've watched people grow in Christ, And one of the things that's become apparent to me as the years have gone by is everything that John was saying about being a passive observer versus being an engaged participant. It is true. It is true. When we're on the outside, when we know, when we're on the outside of what God is doing and we're not willing to give ourselves to it, you know what happens to people, to us? We become critical. Um, We, just like they were. We, we start to, we focus on the flaw and we miss the fabulous. Instead of getting better, we get bitter. Instead of being healed, our heart gets hard. Right? We start, you know what else happens when we stay on the outside? We start undervaluing the gifts that God's giving us. And we start undervaluing God-given relationships. We treat them poorly. We don't value them. We take them for granted and we can lose them. And we miss the good thing that God is doing. We, we, so it's almost like, um, are like we, what God's got something going on and we've got our arms crossed on the outside, just kind of looking at it like they were doing. I why I see them. You know, they remind me of another story that Jesus gave us, my favorite in all the Bible the story of Prodigal prodigal son. But it's really the story of two lost sons. One son goes out and makes a mess of things. Things he knows and he doesn't know and he loses everything and he comes back to father's house totally broken, a mess. He's skinny. He's got nothing left. He's lost everything. Even his friends have turned on him. He thinks in his mind, you know what, I'm going to die if I don't go back home to my father's house. I'm just going to ask him if he'll give me a job. I'm not going to ask him to be his son, just to give me a job. He comes home, Jesus says, and when he's there, the father runs to him, puts his arms around him and starts weeping over him says, we're going to have a party. My son who was lost has been found. Ah, bring out the robe and bring out the best calf. We're going to rejoice together. He's come home, right? It's a picture of God's heart for us. <laughs> but Jesus says there was another person in the story, his brother, who had been faithful. And when the word comes to him in the field, he they say, do you hear with the news? Your brother's come home. He's been lost all these years. We thought he was dead, but he's alive. Can you believe it? Your father's, he's going to throw a party. He's throwing a celebration. Even now you've got to come. You've got to hurry. You've got to come in and, and be a part of this. He's home. Your brother's home. And his heart was struck. And the older brother, Jesus says, would not go in. I will not go. He does not deserve to be celebrated. Right? And there's a lot of stuff there. But he had his arm, he wouldn't do it. You know, when Rembrandt captures that parable in his, I think, amazing picture of the prodigal son moment, he, he has the older brother with his hands like this, watching aloof as the father embraces the son, the poor lost one. It's a powerful juxtaposition. One who will not celebrate, will not I'll stay on the outside. When we do that, our heart shrinks, It shrinks. Um, we miss our blessing. The critical spirit misses the blessing. Purge that thing out. Whatever that spirit of the Pharisee is there, we don't need it. It's not good for us. We need to lean positive and be big hearted, not negative and small hearted, no. You know what, maybe that for some of us, this is the, the exact position we need to take. We need to lean positive. Always find reasons. Say what's wrong with this, or what's wrong with that, or why I'm not going to do this, or what are they doing? That's like, that shit just like kills your spirit. Just kills it. That's what they were doing with John. It's like, well, you know, God isn't going to be in that. You know, how can he be in that? You know, This guy. They're people, they get get duped all the time. They're always caught up in something, right? But they were missing what God was doing and God says, join the celebration, come on in. But you gotta come in, you gotta decide, right? (laughs) And here's, okay, I'll I'll fold it out a different way, this way. Let's choose to be, and we'll put it up there. Let's, remember, we need to be more than religious, We need to humble ourselves before God. The Jerusalem leadership felt their religious status and pedigree exempted them from having to submit to what God was doing, right? Now, because John's, remember this, John's baptism, you need to be baptized in the Jordan in light of what God is about to do. Now John's baptism was under repentance. It was kind of a cleansing, but it was also a humbling thing. And I can I was trying to, in my mind's eye, going, ah, you know. The, I think, I think, some of them were together. And I think as they're listening, I think some of them actually, their heart is stirred. I think I think I feel drawn. A couple, I, 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 but I I can't. Um, well, well, what are my friends going to think? What are the people going to think? I, I'm submitting to this guy? I, I'm, the, I'm the leader. I'm, I'm the trained one. We're the trained ones. I have a reputation. I can't humble myself like that. I can't do that. I can't submit to that. And John's saying, you've got to submit to that. To be a part of what God's doing. I can't do it. I can't do it. But I, part of him wants to. You, know, you think about it, that's, that's the same issue Jesus is going to have later. Right. uh, Think about what happens in in my mind, one of the great chapters of the Bible, John 3. There's that moment where it says one of the Pharisees, a man named Nicodemus, started believing Jesus, but he didn't know what to do because he didn't want his friends to know. And so he came to Jesus in the night under the cloak of darkness for a conversation. And out of that conversation, we are given a gift because that's when Jesus says, you know, you must be born again. It doesn't matter how much you know about God. I'm talking about relationship with God. And then he says, and out of that conversation is what comes the great verse, right? For God so loved this world that he gave his only begotten Son that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. God did not send his son Nicodemus into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. Do you understand this? Are you a teacher in Israel? Do you understand this? Right? That conversation comes as a result of someone who was a Pharisee who was coming to Jesus because his heart was being drawn, but he was afraid of what it would cost him at a reputation level. And that's what John saw going on here. They didn't want to, like, they might have been moved, but they had to humble themselves. And to humble yourself, oh, when you've got a lot of pride, when well, that matters to you, Now we're talking about where the real battle is going on. And do you see in that format how blessed is the poor according to what Jesus said? Do you understand what he was getting at a little bit? Do we? This is a roadblock. And John knew it. And he hit them as hard as he could to get their attention to their true need. And God will do that with us. You know what God wants? He wants a heart that is open and broken to him. The broken and the contrite spirit, the psalmist says, he will not despise. Um, God, James writes, resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. We're not, it's not about being perfect. It's about being real and humble and open. I was, last night, I was um, thinking about the message and I was thinking about humbling ourselves before God. And I was reminded of another story that Jesus gave. I won't go long into it. I just want to submit it to you. It's what we call the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector or the Pharisee and a publican. Listen, then Jesus told the story to some, it's in Luke 18, to some who had great confidence in their own righteousness, and scorned everyone else. Jesus said this, two men went to the temple to pray, went to church. One was a Pharisee, and the other was a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood by himself, and he prayed this prayer, Jesus says. I thank you, God, that I am not a sinner like everyone else. For I do not cheat. I don't sin. And I don't commit adultery. I'm certainly not like that tax collector over there. Uh, You know, what? I, I fast twice a week. And I give you a tenth of all my income. And those are all good things, right things. But the tax collector, Jesus said, you know what? The task collector, he stood at a distance. He didn't even dare. He didn't even dare to lift his eyes to heaven as he prayed. Instead, Jesus said, he beat his chest in sorrow saying, Oh God, be merciful to me for I am a sinner. And I tell you, I tell you this. I tell you this. Jesus said, I tell you this sinner, not the Pharisee, this sinner, not the Pharisee return home justified before God for those who exalt themselves will be humbled and those who humble themselves in my kingdom will be exalted. Wow. There is no substitute for humility. It's it's not about how good we are. I want to be I want to be gooder, okay? I want to be better. I want to be better. I want to be, I want to honor God with a life well lived for Him. But in the end, it's not about how good I am to get His. It's like it's like like Jesus saying, you know what? It's not like you, you say to me, um, hey, you know what, Lord? You know I'm so good. You'd be lucky to have me in your kingdom, right? Because I'm a good, I'm a pretty good guy. Versus another person who says, I I have. Loss, I have need I have a sin in me I, I know that I ask you to help me God But I need your mercy in my life who Jesus says it's not I don't want I don't need you I, I want your honesty I can help last thing I'll say and we'll leave it here we need to do more than believe we need to bear fruit Good fruit. Put it up there. We need to do more than believe. We need to bear good fruit. John says you need to bear good fruit. You're not bearing fruit. My friends, you're very religious, but you need to bear good fruit. You need to see what God is doing. You need to respond. You need to, you need to act. You see the thing is, we also need to put our faith into action. It's not a, uh, a dabble. It's, 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 it's meant to be a life, an all-in kind of life, a vibrant life, a vibrant faith life. And so we have to challenge ourselves about ways of, of, it's not a spectator thing. It's a participation. And it means we fail and we struggle at times and we're going to wrestle with things in God's word and we're going to get stretched. And that's okay because we're going to grow. This is what Jesus said. This will be the last verse I show. For he wrote this in Luke, and we looked at it. He says, if any man will come after me, if anyone is willing to come, let them deny themselves, take up their cross daily, and follow me. For whoever will save their life, Jesus says, live it for your own self, you'll lose it. But if you're willing to lose it for me, and live it for me, you'll find it. For I tell you, what shall it profit a man? What does it profit any person? they gain the whole world and lose their soul nothing is taken with us there is no full security I exercise I do all the things I'm supposed to do there are no guarantees work hard, accumulate as much as I can to be a blessing nothing's coming with me the only thing going with me is what's sent ahead that's the truth according to Jesus. So here's the final thing. That's the final verse. Here's the final thing. <laughs> right here. Two thoughts. You guys can put them up there for them. There should always be something we should be dying to when it comes to following Jesus and always something we should be living for. So I ask you the question in this new year. Is there something you're asking the Lord to help you die to that's either holding us back um, we need to let go. We're wrestling with it. We're trying to die to it so that other things can live. What, are, what is it? We should think about that. We should know it. Are there some areas that we're trying to die to and are there some other areas that we're pursuing that God is saying, this is what I want you to pursue and our, our year will look a lot like what I'm willing to let go of and what I'm willing to pursue. You see that? Because remember this, the goal is not survive. It's thrive. It's thrive is thrive, is bearing good fruit, is prevailing, right? It's, that's what God wants. He wants us to, okay, flourish and abound unto every good work. Let's not give him leftovers. The easy play that costs us nothing. Remember one time when they they were bringing, God has this moment where he tells Israel, because they're bringing him offerings, and, and through the prophet, he says, you guys are, are cheating me. And they say, what do you mean? We're bringing our offerings. He says, yeah, you're your offerings. You're bringing the, the leftovers and the sickly that you don't want anyway. And then you sacrifice them unto me. Keep your offering. If you can't give me your heart, keep your offering. If that's what it is. I want your heart. All in. Let's pray. Lord, I ask that you would speak to us about these things. You know what we need to hear. Our hearts open before you. Just ask that as we close our time out, getting ready for next week, which is going to be a wonderful thing for us as a church Sunday. We pray for it in advance, but I just pray for our own hearts, Lord, to be soft before you. Stay humble, not resistant, not, not proud or critical. Uh, Lord, keep us like, uh, like that one who just can say, Lord, have mercy on me, uh, I'm a sinner, but I accept your love for me, too, and I want to follow you better. So um, help us, Lord, speak to us. Speak to us in these closing minutes as well. We finish with this song. Uh, In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.